Bobby, when your father told me this, you were a very long way from where you are today. Somehow he knew that it would all turn out well. Listening to Lost in Twin Peaks, a podcast for both first-time and veteran viewers of Twin Peaks, the mystery series that ran for two seasons in the early 90s on ABC, followed by a feature film, and 25 years later, a limited series on Showtime. And at the time of this recording, who knows what after that. If you're a new listener who has just discovered this podcast and wants to know more, check out Episode 0, Show Format. The following week of Daily Podcast will cover Part 9, an episode of Season 3 aired on Showtime in 2017. The network used lines from each episode for titles, so Part 9 was also known as This is the Chair. Although recorded for patrons back in 2018, I'm re-editing and representing this coverage, including some new sections, for public release beginning on July 9th, 2022, the fifth anniversary of Part 9. For this week and going forward, I'm switching back to my old approach, publishing the illustrated companion on my site, lostinthemovies.com, on the Saturday that Part 9 debuts, rather than the Saturday after, as I did for Parts 1 through 8. So you're going to be able to preview the upcoming week's content in visual form ahead of time, right now in fact. Uh, The illustrated companion is linked in the show notes. It'll incorporate screenshots and other images to reflect stories, characters, events from the time, and so forth. In some cases in greater detail than even the podcasts themselves. Since both The Return and Lost in Twin Peaks took a week off following the monumental Part 8, and since the end of the month passed between this and the last introductory podcast, I've got quite a few other podcasts to share before we begin on Lost in Twin Peaks. I recorded a guest appearance with the Uncut Gems podcast. They had me on to talk about uh, Fire Walk with me for uh, over two hours, a big group discussion, And uh, you can hear me sort of pop in and out. I had some technical (laughs) difficulties during it, but they wove it together pretty nicely. So uh, we talk about the film in the context of whether it's a horror movie, um, the role of like Leland and Bob and uh, other other aspects of it that two of the guests were sort of less um, immersed in the Twin Peaks world and had some interesting things they liked and didn't like about it. So definitely check that out linked in the show notes, of course. On my monthly Lost in the Movies feed, I launched a new season focused on Hollywood classics by covering the Astaire Rogers musical Swing Time. My dollar a month Patreon podcast updated listeners on the media that I'd consumed and the projects I'd worked on during June, focusing on one film series uh, in particular, Adam Curtis's early 2000s documentary The Power of Nightmares about the war on terror and the neocons. Other topics include King Kong vs. Godzilla, In the Line of Fire, Political Shifts, and the Iraq War, and I read my review of An American in Paris as part of my archive series. And Twin Peaks Conversations split, as always, between a public YouTube episode and a $5 a month Patreon bonus exclusive, consisted of an interview with 
Cameron Cloutier. So Twin Peaks Conversation, that's my monthly uh, podcast. And in this case, I was interviewing the director of the recent Twin Peaks fan film, Queen of Hearts. And he's uh, in this film, he tells the story of Annie Blackburn and Caroline Earl pretty imaginatively. So we get into that and a lot of other uh, topics as well. The Patreon part of that is actually unusually long, running two and a half hours in addition to the public hour. So make sure to check all of that out. Today's episode of Lost in Twin Peaks, as always, features the categories of Laura Palmer, the feel of the episode, and the structure of the episode to kick us off. We're covering part nine. This was the follow-up to the epic part eight, and some people found it disappointing because it went back to the normal format, but there's some cool stuff in here, some surprises, some fun details, and really, I just love the structure that I'm using to discuss this week to week. It's really fun to have that comparative ruler to use of like, okay, well, last week we talked about how we dealt with these sections, how do we deal with them this week, which characters are ranking this way this week, and so forth, so this will be fun to explore. was probably the most anticipated episode of The Return, except for the first and the last episodes. I think part eight was hyped a little bit beforehand. Brina Sutherland and others, I think Pat, uh, Peter Deming, the director of photography, were saying, you know, keep your eye out. This is going to be a big one. But, you know, it still kind of snuck up on everyone. So after part eight, everyone was thinking, oh, my God, what's coming next? Plus, we had a two week break before part nine. So this was just building anticipation. Are we going to go back to New Mexico? Are we going to spend time with those kids we saw? Is there going to be a whole new story developing? Like, did we just pull a Mulholland Drive or a Lost Highway and like the rest of the show is going to be in some other world and some other narrative and characters altogether? Uh, it just, everybody was eager to find out. I remember I went on a trip, I think that weekend, just a sort of a road trip and uh, coming back, it was like, all right, tonight's the night. And we were talking about it a little, like, what's what's going to happen after that last big one? And there's just a lot of anticipation. Now, of course, nothing could quite live up to that. And it seems like they almost baked that into this episode. Laura is altogether absent from this episode. This, I mentioned before that, you know, I think in part seven, she's barely mentioned at all. We see a diary page that we know is hers, but we don't see her name or nobody references her. But this is even more extreme than that. There's no reference whatsoever in the episode, except, of course, that every episode begins with her face sort of translucent floating toward the camera. And it is worth noting that after part eight, that takes on a different connotation because we've seen the, the golden Laura orb that was sent toward Earth. So now seeing this orb-like object, because there is something, you know, it seems like she's in a bubble that's floating towards us. We come to it with a different set of references after part eight. It is, comparatively speaking, a very, very mundane episode. Um, pointedly mundane 
And uh, that's not necessarily a bad thing. There's a nice mellow feel to it. There's sort of a low-key vibe that, that works well. And it's very business-like in a manner. It gets a lot of things accomplished in story terms. But it's such a stark contrast to the episode that came before. And I think that told me when I was watching it at the time, like, okay, so this is actually going to follow some sort of... Uh, path you know that 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 through through the whole show it it there's not going to be some huge crazy twist until probably the end of the season we're not going to have that like suddenly we're in diane's world or suddenly we're in pete's world like in the lynch films and it also feels a lot even though i think there's a lot of frost in part eight it feels like more in his wheelhouse in some ways this sort of getting that exposition in there getting those sort of functional moments in there, piecing it together into something that feels like a TV narrative in some way. This this really does feel like a more conventionally structured uh, TV episode, which we'll talk about in the structure section in a moment. But for the feel of the episode, I think I mentioned that there's sort of a mellow and relaxed, but, but still business-like manner to it. And I think we get that right away when we see Mr. C walking down that desert path. It's almost like a hangover from the previous binge that we had in that episode. Uh, you know, he's bruised and battered. And he's stumbling along like, well, got to get shit done, you know. And of course, he's one of the few regular characters we saw in the previous episode, too. So it's kind of like a sense of picking up where we left off with that story early in part eight. And uh, he's issuing orders to other characters and delivering some information and they're telling him some things. And it's just, it's, it's much more functional, much more down to earth. And then, you know, speaking of down to earth, the next uh, scene we get is up in the air where it's the FBI in the airplane. And that too has kind of a business-like manner, you know, and they're all tired. They're Diane sleeping, Albert sleeping. It's a perfectly staged opening to get that like morning after feel that, that we're having after part eight and it tells us right away what type of episode this is going to be it's also a very information heavy episode which in itself is a contrast from part eight which was so visual and non-verbal and purely kind of poetic this is much much more functional and returning to the Hastings stuff also shows us that contrast we haven't seen that character and uh, you know we've seen a little bit of Mackley and Constance uh, here and there, but really going back in earnest to Buckhorn, but through this new approach where it's the FBI there and they're all business, that in itself creates a sort of a, a contrast with the, the world that was set up in parts one and two, as well as, you know, what we just saw in part eight. It does feel like a second half of the show is beginning here. We even repeat the, uh, the band performing at the end. It's a band that we've already seen before in the Roadhouse. And even though this, is the, you know, strictly speaking, the halfway point of the show would be right after this episode, because of that two-week break after Part 8, and especially because Part 8 was so dramatic, this really feels like the beginning of the second half of the series in a way. And speaking of, you know, beginnings and ends and how it's structured, this particular episode is very well organized, very thorough, and very focused. A lot of the material is organized into sort of bunches. So, for example, we start off cutting between Mr. C and the airplane, and then we finish those stories kind of in tandem. We go to Vegas for a while, and we just stay in Vegas, and then that's done for the episode, and we do a Twin Peaks section. And You know, there's some cross-cutting going on between different stories, but there usually tends to be two or three scenes in one place uh, before we go to another place. So it feels like they're giving us a gentle kind of guide back into this world. At times it almost feels like a reminder, like, hey, two weeks have passed previously on Twin Peaks, The Return, you know, like we're getting that kind of refresher, especially because it's really been three weeks because of the intervention of Part 8 in many ways. 
That's it for this episode. Please rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts. You can also become a patron and support this work on patreon.com slash lostinthemovies. Tomorrow's episode will go back to the format we used for parts one through seven. We had more of a time than a location format in uh, part eight, but now we're mostly, it seems, sticking to the present. So we're going to focus on the uh, geographical sprawl of the show. And that means we're beginning with the out-of-town sections of uh, the story. So Mr. C, South Dakota, Las Vegas, the things that take place outside of Twin Peaks. We'll cover all those scenes uh, in tomorrow's episode. Mm -hmm.